I'm Ali Hill and welcome to episode 108 of the Standout Life podcast. And whilst we sit here in March of 2021, this is actually the first episode going out in this year. So it's timely for me to really express my gratitude for you to wait and also to say thank you for your ongoing support and for the celebration that you have in the conversations and the learnings that continue to happen here on this podcast. The reason for the gap, you might be asking, well, it's because I've taken some time to really focus on family. It's been a big, tough and a beautiful start to 2021. I was asked to, and of course I did, spend time supporting my father through palliative care as a result of prostate cancer. He had advanced prostate cancer for over 11 years and there aren't many people who are able to say that statement. Um, And yet, sadly, Dad lost this time with, with prostate cancer only last month. It was an extraordinary experience to go through the past few months and one that at some point I'll find the space and the time to share that with you. But for now, this is my reminder to you to give those people around you an extra hug today. Uh, Time is precious and the people we love are even more precious. You'll no doubt feel inspired to live a big and impactful life after you've heard the story of today's guest. Ronnie Khan is a social entrepreneur and a founder of food rescue charity Oz Harvest. Now, Oz Harvest has become a well-known brand and name across Australia, mainly because of the passion, the advocacy and the activism of Ronnie herself. Ronnie has written her story in a book. The book is called A Repurposed Life and it is amazing. It is an absolute page turner of a book. She unpacks her extraordinary journey from starting life in South Africa to moving to Israel to then moving here to Australia and founding a very successful event business. Although she is best known as the food warrior with a mission to fight the food waste and to feed the hungry. In this episode, we talk about what drives Ronnie. We talk about the hurdles that she faces and how she overcomes them. And you'll want to listen right at the very end where Ronnie talks about the meaning that she gives to a single teaspoon. Put whatever you are doing right now aside and give all of your attention to this powerhouse of a woman, the amazing Ronnie Khan. Ronnie, welcome. It's fantastic to to connect with you, to spend this time via Zoom. It's probably not my preference, but uh, such a delight to connect with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to spending this time with you and chatting. Yeah, look, uh, there's so many stories and conversations I would love to dive in with you. I want to start your book, A Repurposed Life, is just such a beautiful culmination of your stories. I'd love to start by asking, what was that process like? Because often when we are doing impactful work, we're busy doing the work and we don't pause to actually go... How has this happened and what are the stories and the pieces and seeing them come together? So what was that process like to sit down and pull together your life stories into this book? Well, it's funny because when you mention, you know, the process of stopping what you're doing to write the book, of course that never happened. 
it's not like I said, okay, I'm going to take three months off, concentrate only on the book. The book happened through my life. <laughs> In fact, the only time I took my daughter, I wrote the book together with my daughter-in-law, and there's no doubt that the way she wrote it and and captured the thread of my story has has brought that to life because otherwise I probably would still be writing it. Um, but we managed to spend a week, not even a full week, twice over this last three years that we were writing the book. And the rest was snatched conversations and snatched nights of brainstorming and, and putting it together. But But of course it is a process. And it really was only when I read the audible of the book that I actually got a sense of the life story of the book and therefore myself. Mm. <laughs> that was a beautiful thing actually for me to read the book because reading made it come to life for me in a very different way. What emotions arose for you when you, when you heard it, when you read it? Oh, well, the sound guy and me were crying many times. <laughs> and the cute thing was the sound guy said, oh, my God. After, you know, you read and if you make a little mistake, then you just go back to the sentence. And he said, I'm the best reader only just because I was fluent, fluidly reading. But when we did need to take a break, he said, oh, my God. I've never been so involved. I've never been so engaged. So that was t that that validated for me that there was something worthy in the book because this was a stranger just listening, actually doing his work, but he loved it. And that felt very, very empowering for me. Mm. I, I was very nervous, of course, to bring it to life. Very nervous. I've never been so vulnerable, naked, raw in my life. Where did those nerves come from? Like obviously, yeah, putting yourself out there and, and so much of this story and what I'm fascinated by is Oz Harvest is a part of it. Uh, but there's this beautiful thread that, that gets woven throughout your life. Um, so, yeah, look, I appreciate that that sense of this is naked, this is vulnerable, this is, this is those, uh, those threads and those stories. Where did those nerves come from? Look... I have to, there was no other way I could tell the story. It became very apparent in the beginning when I was sharing or being interviewed by Jesse, my co-author, you know, and, and I'd say things and then I'd say, but of course that doesn't have to go in the book. And, you know, you asking me about my life and I'm sharing. And then it just became very apparent that first of all, what was in and what was out was not up to me <laughs> in that once I decided to go on this journey, I couldn't be anything other than truly honest, truly authentic. And it wasn't about censoring certain bits. It was about the relevance of how I have journeyed and got to one place after the next going onwards to the next and so it sort of evolved itself. It wasn't a conscious decision. I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to be honest and authentic. All I sat down to do was tell my story. And there's lots of 
joy and there's challenges and there's sadness and there's it's a life it's a it's how we live our lives and mm. I think that's what people connect with right that's what we're drawn to and yet we're you know it is that that fear for ourselves we don't want to we want to kind of censor you know our own stories now you grew up in South Africa during uh, apartheid time and there's a particular person that uh that was there in, in those early years, but also was this person who became this trailblazer for your own life, this, this realisation and this aha, Selma, uh, yeah. is this beautiful part yeah. of your, your world. I guess, you know, often we, we put trailblazers or people we see as trailblazers up on a pedestal and yet they are just the people in the moment um, doing the things. And, you know, I think, you know, Selma really depicts that person in, in your life and in your story. Yeah. But what do you see as the qualities of someone we would call a trailblazer? So I will answer that. I just want to reflect on something you said, which I think is really so interesting, and it's that notion of not recognising the role people play in our lives while they're doing it. And in a way, one part of my book was to try and acknowledge all those people who've affected me in some way. And so I think the role of a trailblazer is, again, for me, it's to have a purpose that's bigger than oneself and to actually live live and enact according to the values that you believe in that, again, on the proviso that this is for the betterment of humanity. So, for example, if we have to look at the state of leadership today, if I look at the current leader that's refusing to leave, which will just give timing to this podcast, <laughs> there isn't a single moral fiber within that human being that, to me, embodies leadership or morality in a way that he's been given a platform to. So... That for me, it's about utilizing your values and your skills in a way that is bigger than oneself. And so there's so many wonderful trailblazers around us. They're not necessarily unique. Each and every one of us could be a trailblazer in some part of our lives. And that's also one of the messages that I wanted to portray in the book was I'm not special. Uh, yes, each and every one of us is special and each and every one of us is unique. But I used and continue to use my gifts in a particular way and each and every one of us has gifts. So we, we don't have to look left, right. We can be inspired by other people. But we don't have to think we have to aspire to be somebody else finding our way and using the platforms that we have is one of the key messages. What I, you know, what's so fascinating about that story and you describe um, your time in South Africa and then you moved to Israel and spent time in a, in a kibbutz, uh, mm. which, you know, is, is such a, um, you know, fascinating. It was for me so fascinating to to read um, and and met your husband and married as uh, while you were there in in Israel, and part of that time. There's a there's a point in time that really stuck out for me where you talked about a perm 
and going and getting perm that changed your life <laughs> uh, back in a time when people probably went, yeah, perms do pay, change our life. But and and there's a there's a line where you actually say, suddenly I felt like a woman with a voice. And so where you talk about being a trailblazer, knowing your values, it's we have to start with having a voice, and it's part of this journey. Can you talk to me how how this perm became a turning point for you? Absolutely. And the I, the interesting thing is, in a way, I mean. A super, it is such a superficial thing to say that something external about how we look could fundamentally shift how we feel. But I think probably every hairdresser knows the power they have, how people come in sad and leave happy or come in and leave <laughs> confused about their new look. Um, fundamentally, it it. It was as if the chemicals that went into that perm actually permeated my brain <laughs> in a way. And I've never thought of saying it that way before, but a perm is a very chemical-laden mm. thing. Because what I saw in the mirror before I walked into that hairdresser and what I felt when I walked out was a, a transformation and it suddenly positioned me in a way that I was brave, much braver than I'd been before. I felt seen. I could see myself for the first time. Now, the fact that some people noticed and for some people I was visible in a very different way, it's obviously what happens to us inside of ourselves when we see ourselves. And for me, it was a that triggered it for somebody else. It could be a comment somebody makes. It could be a book they've read. It could be something they've seen or picked up on. But for me, it was, I, I am very, um, very visible. I am very, um, I love, I, I'm creative and I love seeing things and, and those are, and that's often how I'm triggered. But that poem, was the beginning of a new voice. Mm. Yeah. And that's a powerful realisation. Like I love <laughs> that that it's almost that metaphor in a beautiful way of saying the external chemicals change the internal internal <laughs> ones. Um, that again, you know, this this thread of um, you know, voice and platform and story is is, you know, a, such a beautiful part of this this book. Um, you have been through tough times, as you say. A life a life is not always just the the uh, you know the the Instagram version or the the top line bullet points. And you share really openly and vulnerably. And you you say in the book, this is probably the first time you share your experience with Anton. Um, and recognizing the importance that hardship can help us to uncover who who we really are. And I'd love to read a part from your book. And I'm going to encourage everyone to to read this book because it is just so powerful. But this sentence really struck me. I was empowered after Anton because the shock of who I'd allowed myself to become turned into the exquisite pleasure of knowing the kind of person I wanted to be. What's your relationship with tough times? You know, I read a beautiful thing yesterday and I... I didn't write it down, but I'll paraphrase it in a way. You know, I, I live and breathe gratitude. I wake up every morning with gratitude. But there was a phrase around gratitude, and it, it relates to living a tough time. 
And that is gratitude isn't just always about being happy about everything. Gratitude opens a door for us to be able to feel and feel safe, connected. And so I think that the tough times, if you have, if you understand that they really, they really, it's, it's not that they are an opportunity to grow. That sounds so trite because we all know that. But it's if in your frame of reference that you one can have gratitude to learn, gratitude to appreciate, but gratitude to also have the strength to go through. And when you realize that you are strong enough to go through those challenging times, it is very empowering. It leaves a deep, deep scar. But I think those scars are a bit like wrinkles. You know, you learn to live and wrinkles are very confronting. But then again, it's how you frame them. You know, is it about the experiences I've lived? And would I change anything? Absolutely no. That you've got the strength to go through them, to understand them. To go through that. And it does take strength and need strength, but, but it's the resilience it's the recognition of the balance in our lives. You know, we have the happy and we have the sad and they just both are such an important part of creating who we are and not negating and saying, I only want happy. Of course, we only want happy, but if you don't know sad, you also don't know happy. Yeah, they both come together. Yeah. love that, you know, just even that terminology of the exquisite pleasure of, you know, we, we can't get to that depth of happy, we can't get to that depth of um, joy without having experienced those. And I love that sense of that's what the wrinkles of our life, the wrinkles <laughs> of our world show and tell in mm. that place as well. Now, you were heavily involved in your creativity and part of your expression came through events and yep. uh, with the tenacity of an entrepreneur, you would go in and say, I will create magic and just trust me. Um, and that was a big part of, of your expression and who you are, um, of, and of which the seed of, you know, Oz Harvest and what it is today started to be born from. Um, Oz Harvest didn't come out of a recognition that you know from glo uh, from a you know climate change perspective and food shortage and and all of those sort of things. It really just came out of a point in time and, and seeing that need. Can you talk through where where you recognise that in the work that you were doing with events? Yeah, I can because I think it's the biggest clue that everyone can take from my story. In that, I had a pain point. In my business life, I was creating waste. Now, in the beginning, I didn't notice it. It just was part of the job and I was throwing away that food. When I started realizing the scale of what I was throwing out and how actually unconscionable it was, it, I needed a solution. Now, many times in the past, in many situations, I probably said, why doesn't somebody fix this? In this instance, it was incumbent on me to fix it. And when I fixed it for myself, I realized, wow, what if I fix it for myself? I could fix it for others. But that is the clue <clears throat> oftentimes to finding that sense of purpose in ourselves. when there's something that niggles every single day and we wish somebody else would fix it. 
Maybe by fixing that, you would fix a problem that everybody has. And that's really what happened with the seed of Oz Harvest. Because it was, if I can solve this, I know there's a bigger problem. I did not know the scale or the size of the problem, but all I could think of was other event producers have the same issue then. And I thought I'd just go to them and that would be the end. <laughs> Clearly it was just the beginning. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. 165 million meals later, mm-hmm. it wasn't such a bad idea. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, where, where it is is obviously beyond you and beyond that initial kind of drive. Looking back, and this might be um, an interesting one because it would be you know, kind of hard to choose from the best, but is there something that comes to mind that, that when you think about the impact that Oz Harvest is having and continues to have, what are you most proud of? <laughs> In a way, I, it's not about pride because I am a vessel through which this extraordinary thing has happened. So I tried, I, 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 I never, I don't feel pride in what I've done. Where I feel proud is when I see that there are 200 people engaged in Ars Harvest who believe in what it is we do and want to shift and change and make a difference. And that the ripple effect of that so I kind of don't really cause it, call it pride because I'm in awe every single day when I look around and wake up and think a yellow vehicle's just driven by and it's taking food and delivering it. Wow, isn't that awesome? I'm still in awe every day of, of what this has become. COVID-19 obviously has meant that 2020 has been very, very different for so many in in so many different industries. It hasn't impacted, there's not a single workplace that hasn't impacted. One of the areas it has impacted obviously is events and conferences and places where, you know, a lot of, um, I guess, the food that Oz Harvest would be uh, repurposing would um, would come from. And so a lot of that has basically disappeared around Australia across the year, at least significantly reduced. How has that impacted the work of Oz Harvest? And, um, yeah, I guess if people are starting to look into it, what, what, where could they kind of help in amongst the change that this year has impacted for, the, so think, for Oz Harvest? I think fundamentally our culture really shone through these last nine months because we agilely and nimbly redeployed, recreated, built new, new programs. So in a way, my event life never ended. Our harvest is just one big event, I think. <laughs> but um, so so the clearly food fluctuated. So if anyone is connected with food and they think that there's food going to waste, they should tell us. We're still not fully back into volunteering the way we, you know, engaged with our three thousand volunteers. It's, it's very different, but induction is happening. So if someone has time, they should consider volunteering, whether it's for us or other organizations, because there's nothing more precious than giving your time. If one has money, um, you know, if you gave up two coffees a month and decided to become a regular giver of $10, that means Oz Harvest can deliver at least 240 more meals a year. 
given that there are now 6 million people who need food, we need a lot of food to get out there. But fundamentally, you know, even just buying my book means us harvest can deliver more food to more people because a percentage of the book comes back to us. So I think how people can make a difference is by being good, trying to be kind, <laughs> because once you have that mindset, it's like a, an adventure every day to go out and think, oh, who could I be kind to and who could I be good to? Because the joy is just like a cup that just keeps getting filled. And that's the interesting thing. You give out the kindness and the joy, but your cup just becomes overflowing. This ties a little bit in. You wrap the book up with a, um, an invitation to the order of the teaspoon. Can I ask you to share that story? You certainly can. And if you can see, I know you can see me, <laughs> I have a teaspoon hanging in my ear. So I came across this quote by a wonderful author called Amos Oz. And I use it as the afterword in the book because I think it's the call to action. And I've seen how it's been become a call to action in the last years or two since I've been utilizing it. And it goes like this. In the event of a huge conflagration, like a fire, we as humans have three principal ways we can react. The first is we can look at that fire and we can run away as fast as we can and leave those that cannot run to burn. That is an option. Number two, we can write an angry letter to the newspaper demanding that those who are responsible be punished. Or number three, we can run and find a bucket. And if you cannot find a bucket, find a jug. And if you cannot find a jug, find a teaspoon. Because all of us have access to a teaspoon. And I know that a teaspoon is tiny and the fire is huge. But there are millions of us. And if we all use our teaspoon, we can put out that fire. And so... I invite you all to join and become part of the Order of the Teaspoon, where we walk around either wearing a teaspoon on our lapel or holding our teaspoon in our pocket or wearing it as an earring in my ear to remind me every day to use my teaspoon. So often, Alison, what I do is I'll ask all of your listeners to take their hands and put them together, cup them together. And then what I'm going to ask you all to do is to look into your hands because in your hand is your metaphorical teaspoon. Can you take that, your cupped hands, and can you put them over your heart? And can you embed that teaspoon in your heart and use your teaspoon every day in a way that makes a tiny difference to somebody because the impact will be huge? Beautiful. I have a feeling people will say yes, they will follow. <laughs> what's exciting you about what's next, Ronnie? Like what's your next uh, learning, your next adventure? So first of all, I'm still very embedded in Oz Harvest and love it and it's amazing. I think really working very deeply on, on fixing the broken food system. I never started Oz Harvest to perpetuate 
hunger or to just be the biggest food rescue organization. I want to put us out of business, but we do need to still fix a broken food system, that good food is going to waste, that people are still hungry. So to that end, I've got a lot of work still to do. Um, I'm definitely doing more and more um, training and, and sharing and, and inviting people to bring their full selves to everything it is that they do. And so that's something I'll be dabbling in. Um, but really just just trying to be the best I can be every day of my life. Sounds like a beautiful, beautiful metaphor and invitation for all of us. Your book is amazing, A Repurposed Life. We will put all the links uh, in the show notes and we'll be sharing this. I have one final question for you. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? It means grasp it with everything you've got. We have this life and it is a gift and and we can coast along slowly and quietly but stand out in that I think it could be stand up for what it is you believe in and stand up for your values and don't compromise on them, you know. I think it's a beautiful name for your podcast. So thank you so very much for interviewing me, for having me on the podcast, for sharing my book, because I do hope that whoever reads the book can find something valuable in it. Oh, they'll find more than one. I promise them. <laughs> it's a guarantee for me. My heart is feeling full. So thank you so much, Ronnie. I've, I've loved our time chatting. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life. <laughs>